You're listening to PodcastJuice.net. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Prince Podcast here on PodcastJuice.net. This is your host, Michael Dean, and I'm joined by the roundtable of associates, professors, and prints, as my man Jesse likes to say, purple politicians. We are in the building. So first up, I got to do a warm welcome to my man, Mr. Big Ken. How are you, sir? doing well man good to be back i'm a little under the weather man so i'm gonna try to keep up with all you big boys today man (laughs) ah man well welcome back sir it's been a minute but you are an integral part of this show so i'm glad that you are here because i know you got a lot to say on this record so without further ado let's keep it moving mr day dropping how are you sir good to go thanks for having me here mike i know i was i was out in the last episode a little under the weather, sick, a little vacationing, but I'm back. I'm good to go. All right. And also, we are joined by Mr. Sean Hill. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Ready to get on. All right. And last but not least, Mr. Anthony Ampoo. What's going on? I'm cold as a mug. <laughs> but other than that, I'm great. All right. Kind of remind mm-hmm. me of, you, you ever see uh, the Iron Mike battle with Eli from the class of 2005? Ah, over you guys' head. Yeah. But that's yeah. Funny. Yeah. I did it. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. And, and I will say this. So what we're doing today, this is, of course, the Prince Podcast. We are doing part three of our Sign of the Times review. We've done part one. Part two, that is out. In this, We talked about the album. We went through the track for track. Track for track. I think there's over four hours of content out there already so far on that record. Crazy. Now we're going to do part three, where we're going to look at how this album came to be, the tour, the look, the impact, everything we need to say to close the book on this monumental album. So I say all that to say also, we will be joined later, hopefully by author again from uh, Music Snobs and also Big Sexy and Sax. So we'll look out for them to come through in a minute now. Let's just get this thing started. So Sign of the Times. Of course, there is a huge backstory in terms of how this album came to be. Now, I want to make sure that we can give a proper sort of examination and look at, you know, sort of the things that led up to this moment of this album. And I think we got to start going all the way back to uh, a project that Prince started and you could argue and say finished called The Dream Factory. And now the Dream Factory uh, is coming off of the heels of Parade and, you know, the revolution is still intact. Wendy and Lisa are are full in effect and then part of the band. And recordings are starting for new songs. And, man, I'm just losing it. But I want to say the first song that was recorded that kind of kicked it off. Is it uh, uh, the Dream Factory, I believe, right? Uh, Which is the song I'm kind of about... uh, St. Paul a little bit. And I think that was a song that sort of initially kicked things off. And I kind of want to start from there and move forward. So with that said, uh, I know Anthony has some great 
uh, research and notes that he has done on terms of the track listing for the Dream Factory. So if you could, Anthony, I would like you to give us the track listing for the Dream Factory album. All right, they had um, three different uh, versions for this album. First was a, a demo cassette that had uh, Side A, Visions, a, a piano solo by Lisa Coleman, Dream Factory, It's a Wonderful Day, the awesome ballad of Dorothy Parker, Big Tall Wall, and That Says What, which I'd love to know what that song sounds like. Oh. Uh, side B, a Strange Relationship, Teacher Teacher, Starfish and Coffee, A Place in Heaven, Sexual Suicide. Then they had a... Uh, Another version that was on June 30, uh, June 3rd, 1986, that now included uh, It, uh, Teacher, Teacher, uh, In a Large Room with No Light, uh, a Sexual Suicide, The Awesome Crystal Ball, Power Fantastic, Movie Star, Last Heart, and uh, All My Dreams. And then a final configuration, which was, four, uh, which was a two double discs, four sides, it went Visions, Dream Factory, Train, The Ballad of Dorothy Parker, It, Side B, Strange Relationship, Starfish and Coffee, An Interlude, Slow Love, I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man, Side C, Sound of the Times, Crystal Ball, A Place in Heaven, Side D, The Cross, Last Heart, Witness for the Pr- Prosecution, Movie Star, and All My Dreams. Okay. So, and of course, this would have been the album that would have came after Parade. So I'm just going to throw this question around. I'm going to go to Big Ken first. What do you think would have been the reception if they would have just dropped Dream Factory? That would have just came out back then at that at that time. If that would have came out, what, what do you think would have been sort of the reception? Are we talking about any particular configuration or just just the final one? The final one. <clears throat> you know what? Honestly, man, I believe that the reaction probably would have been the same as what he got with Sign of the Times. And what I mean by that is Prince fans like us would have lost our minds with that kind of configuration. I mean, as good as Sign of the Times is, and it's a classic, it's excellent, we all agree on that. Crystal Ball, I mean, Dream Factory, you know, that configuration, that last configuration would have amped it up even more. Maybe would have put it out on a bigger scale uh, if if you believe that. But I just think that by this time, in in 87 i don't want to say he was far outside but prince had already kind of i want to say not lost the pop audience but he was a little bit outside of the pop audience if you don't understand what i'm saying you know what i mean i mean he he more or less burned all of his his pop credibility if you will with purple rain and then raspberry beret and and then kiss but other than those tracks you know i don't know whether he would have gotten any traction with the general music crowd Okay, again, Prince fans like us, this would have you know, blown our domes up if, if this would have came out that way. But I just don't, I, I personally don't think it would have been much of a different reception. Okay, here's one thing I want to throw too is, is I went and found like what were the top albums of 87, you know, just to kind of put things in context. So I'm going to read this list here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of breaking, broken down uh, within months of the time. So in the first part, basically of January, top album was Bruce Springsteen uh, E Street Band 87, excuse me ni- 1975 through 85 so it's not like that was I don't know if that was an album of new songs or it was a compilation second one between January 17th February 28th 
Slippery When Wet, Bon Jovi. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, this is interesting. Between March uh, and April, mid first of April, License to Ill, Beastie Boys. So we have hip hop. Uh, third one, April through June, is Joshua Tree, U2. Uh, after that, July or June through July is actually no. So from June 27th through wow, September 5th, the number one album was Whitney, Whitney Houston. So she had it on lock for a while there. Uh, next up between September 12th, oops, between September 12th and September 26th is a soundtrack. Anybody guess what that album was? Soundtrack album? Top Gun? Yeah, I was going to say Top Gun. Uh, no, it was La 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 Bum. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right, so next up between September 26th and October 31st is my man, Michael Jackson. We're bad. Uh, and then November 7th, Tunnel of Love, Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And then another soundtrack takes us to the end of the year. Anyone guess what that one is? It's not Top Gun. Dirty Dancing? That is correct. It's Dirty Dancing. Mm. So those were the top albums of 87. And you notice Sign of Times was not in that list. Prince was not in that list at all. All right. So in terms of what was going on, at that time, and then we have Sign of the Times, like you said, or we're going to say Dream Factory, kind of imagining sort of what would it have been like. Now, Ken is saying, yeah, probably still would have had the same impact. I personally would argue that if it was serviced with a proper video. Yeah, there you go. I think that that album, and I would say the same with Sign of the Times, would have catapulted him back up to, ah. Uh, this is this guy is amazing. Like I think it would have been a whole new prince for people, um, because again we still only had Kiss was the last thing, and that was a very limited look at Prince. But now we have, you know, if he would have came off that whole style and backed it up, I think it would have really blown it up. You know what? I know you guys hear that clicking in my ear, so we're gonna stop for a second and uh, bring in one of our other guardsmen. So hold on, we'll be right back. All right. I don't know if you guys hear all that, but every yeah. once in a while when you talk, it goes bloop, bloop, yeah, like that. This is a bit sexy. <clears throat> Let me bring him in. Oh, where is he at? Sir. What's up, boys? <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> oh. The lawyer's late. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Order in the Sorry. court. Sorry for being a little tardy, had a little technical issue. I got it handled, and uh, let's roll. <laughs> we were rolling. All right, so let's we're going to come back. We, we had started. We we're just talking about um, Dream, Dream Factory and sort of like what would have been sort of the response if that had came out, all right? So, all right. Well, here we go. Wait, wait, wait. If what had come out? The Dream Factory album itself. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. One, two, three. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. You brought in Big Sexy and Sack. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's cold in California, but I can deal with it. All right. All right. So, again, I want to pose this question. I'm going to go to um, Ernie, actually. And so, so Ernie, again, what do mm. you think of the Dream Factory, if that would have came out in it, that you know, last configuration of the album? 
Well, you know, Mike, I'm glad you brought you gave that breakdown of the different albums and all, and that were number one, uh, because I, there's a few different factors going into this. You touched on one of them as far as if it was to be marketed the same way that Sign of the Times was marketed, then it, yeah, it would do just as well. It might have had a few more accolades for being that much more versified. And in in some of the bigger mags like Rolling Stones are probably Rolling Stone probably would have looked at it a lot more favorably still, because it was so versified and and would have sounded so eclectic. Um, and as folks who who dig Prince, you know, for the fans, we'd be in over our heads already, and we would love it, love it to death. However, with the would your average person like it? Probably not, because they wouldn't be exposed to it. And see, this is back in. This would have been back in '87 when you didn't have the internet. It was whatever was printed out, was set out to you. That's what you got. Whatever you saw out there, that's what you got. And it, if it was marketed correctly, um, and that's something maybe we could touch on later on. But if it was marketed correctly, then then you would have a lot more exposure of it, and you you'd want to see what the deal was, and there'd be more hype for it. Um, and the fact that the different albums were number one, different sounds were number one. See, back then, the, the, you weren't, the charts weren't dominated with just one type of sound, be it good or bad or whatever. It's different types of sounds. You had, you can have one month, like you said, um, Tunnel of Love from Bruce Springsteen, and another month have License to Ill. I mean, how, how does that happen nowadays? It sounds crazy to hear that kind of a mix nowadays. It wasn't crazy then. That's just what it was. So um, to get an album of different types of um, sounds like that could only be a great thing. And I personally love it when artists do that. Uh, the only criticism that he probably would have gotten would be from the different type of genres he was doing and people saying, nah, he's, I see what he's trying to do here. He's trying to, I don't know, for example, do jazz. And that ain't very good jazz. And that'd be nitpicking at that point. But the fact that he'd be doing so many different sounds I think if marketed correctly, would it would have been over the top. It would have been just, it would have blown up. Um, much more than Sign of the Times could have. Let's put it that way. So yeah, that's my take on it. I think it would have done so much better than Sign of the Times could have. Um, it's just unfortunately it wasn't marketed that way. All right. Now I want to, we're going to sort of move forward. <laughs> so if you, if you had something on that, hold that. Now, I want to jump into the next project uh, that was finished to a degree, because obviously there's still other things in the mix there, but the next sort of finished project would have been uh, Camille. Now, Camille, let's give the tracks real quick here. Uh, Rebirth of the Flesh, Housequake, Fill You Up, Shockadelica, Good Love, If I Was Your Girlfriend, Rock Hard in a Funky Place. And it's not called Prince, right? Um, now, Big Sexy. Camille, yeah. in terms of, and let's even be more wilder. Let's just say Dream Factory did come out. And then here comes uh, this other project. I want to pose this question to you. If you were the record company, Warner Brothers, would you put out the Camille album? Yes, simply because <clears throat> based on 
my guy's track record from 1983, 82 forward. He is... To me, he has earned both the goodwill from my label as a prolific artist and as a productive and profitable artist. So, also keeping in mind that this is a creative industry, you have to deal with creative people and you have to let them run sometimes. Now, until he proves me wrong and releases, you know, like a an all Tony M CD, then I gotta I gotta give him a shot. Because he's he's got the critical acclaim, and he's had the critical acclaim since really since 1980 with Dirty Mind. So anything new he's going to want to try is going to be something productive. So I gotta, you know, I don't want to say take a risk, but I definitely have to back my my artist. All right, so I'll definitely put it out. Okay, uh, I pose the same question to Mr. Sean Hill. Yes, I would have put it out uh, back then with with the lack of knowledge as far as technology. It could have been sold as, is this a Prince album? You know, it would have been, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they would have gone the Black Album route, you know, just slap Camille on there, you know, nothing else. Here's the track list. Is this Prince? Is this not Prince? Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's an associate, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I would have I would have put it out. Run would have thrown Housequake out there as a single and, uh, you know, watch it, see what it, what it would have done. Now, would you have done Housequake would have been without a video, though? Probably would you still? I mean, it didn't. Housequake didn't work for Prince without a video. So to not to put his name on it, would you think there would be a mystique of that or something? I think so. Yeah, uh, much you know, kind of much like his other associate, you know, material back then. I, I guess maybe Madhouse would probably be the the closest example of that. Uh, you know, just throw it out there, no fanfare, and and see what it does. Because okay. looking just just looking at the track list, that's really the I would say the only viable single on there. Uh, with may, well, maybe fill you up is, would probably be another one, but I think Housequake would have been the if they would have done it if they were going to do a single or any kind of one single release. Housequake would have been the one to go with. And also keep in mind, we're talking you know eighty six, eighty seven. You know, uh, Sean mentioned Madhouse. I remember when Madhouse came out, since there was no internet. There was just a buzz that this was a Prince project. The only reason that I, I even partially believed it at first was because it was on Paisley Park. And then, you know, word leaked. I don't even know how word got out, but word leaked that this is a Prince deal. And if we did the Camille project the same way, I think you create that underground buzz. And that's always better in a, credi- in a credibility stance than coming out on a, you know, A&R fluffy you know, pop stance. So doing it that way, like he did Madhouse would have garnered some interest and could have, you know, taken it from there. But I think he would have had to do a video at some point for Housequake just to, you know, either confirm or deny that it was him. Yeah. You know, to go back on the uh, Madhouse thing. Now, only reason I knew it was Prince because I remember distinctively is uh, MTV news. What's the, what's the guy who used to be Kurt Loder? Loder. I remember one of the little five minute things you're breaking. He came in, he was like, Hey, is, New Prince record, you know, Madhouse, Jazz, blah, 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 blah. That was the only, and I was like, wow, Tower Records. <laughs> Gotta get it. <laughs> uh, but I, so I don't, I, I, I agree that the marketing was Was, was there a video bust. for six? I, if there was one, I don't. There were recall. video, uh, for the first album, I don't think there were any videos. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Second, so it could have, you know, it could have worked without, maybe with, you know, out of video. Camille is what I'm talking about. All right. Um, well, so um, 
Camille. So I wanted to do this because I feel like Camille is would strictly be an R&B album, you know, in terms of who would gravitate toward it, uh, in my opinion, um, because it leans more that way. So I also wanted to give the top R&B hip-hop albums of 87. Now, this first part of the year is very interesting. So there was one guy who had the number one album from June, January the 3rd all the way till May 9th. I, I would give you $100 if you could guess who that artist is. I'm not going to give you $100, but any idea who that... that uh, an R&B and, and rap? It was an R&B album. R&B hip-hop slash chart for 1987. He had, he had, a, he had, a, he had the year you know, locked pretty, pretty good. 87. Hmm. I'll be sure. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> <laughs> hey, I just threw it out there. <laughs> yeah, that would have been I'll be sure. Oh, I have no idea. All right. All right. His last name is Jackson. Oh, that guy. Well, I don't know. Which guy are you talking oh, about? Freddie Jackson. Freddie. There you go. <laughs> And his big fruity shoulder face. <laughs> Freddie Jackson, yeah, man, just just like the first time album. Did I say that? <laughs> uh, so then, that's that's crazy. Um, now the second one would be Luther. Give me the reason. That was from May 16th, uh, May 23rd. Freddie Jackson came back again. It's crazy. Uh, June the sixth, Jody Whiteley. And Freddie Jackson snatches it back from her. <laughs> June 13th. This album is apparently a classic. Uh, and then Jody came and grabbed it again. June 20th. July 4th. Smokey Robinson's One Heartbeat. And then from July 11th all the way to August 29th was LL Cool J with Bigger. I believe that's his second album. Uh, September 5th was Stephanie Mills, If I Was Your Woman. And then about that. right back the next week, LL Cool J snatches it back again uh, for three more weeks. And then after that, the other Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson's Bad. And that's from October 3rd all the way till December 12th. And then Mr. Stevie Wonder comes in for a week with characters. And you end the year with Michael Jackson bad. So in light of, you know, those albums, you know, what's interesting is that you could argue. And again, I don't know. And back on, I'm, I'm not remembering when uh, Sign of Times was released. But if you was playing the game properly, if you was really cared about the R&B charge, you could be like, you know what? I'm going to put Sign of Times out and put Adore as the first track or, or as the first single. Just strictly based off the strength that Freddie Jackson seems to dominate in that style of music, you could argue to say, you know what, put this out. And Mike, it was it. Uh, April second, eighty-seven. Okay, so that'd be a good yeah. Then that would you would definitely be able to think if you went from January all the way down to uh, May 9th when Freddie had it on lock. You know, you would be like, you know what, let me let's go ahead and put out. Oh, of course, it'd be Prince's decision, but let's put out the door. We can, we can win. We can win that way. All right. Mm. Um, so, again, I want to continue to move forward, and we're going to have enough time to get into everything. So, after Camille, that doesn't come out either, right? obviously. Now, why does the Dream Factory not get released? Uh, 
Anthony, I think you can answer that question. He broke up the band. He said, fuck all yeah. I can do it myself. <laughs> well, it, you know, too, it's funny. If you look at the final uh, configuration of Dream Factory, it's essentially a Prince album. Yeah. There's only, like, there's only five tracks, I think. <laughs> There's only there's only five tracks that have the revolution actually on there. Yeah. Yeah. And then and so so it doesn't come out because again Wendy and Lisa decide they want to leave. Uh some of the other members are gone, Brown Mark and things of that nature. So Prince well, uh, you gotta tell the story, Mike. He he fired them before they could quit. Well, no, no, we Lindy quit first and he and he talked them back in the comment. And then he fired them. Then he fired him. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, you can look at that and say whether it's harsh or not, but I think musically in terms of where he wanted to end up going, at least live, as dope as Wendy is, I don't think that it was where he was trying to go in terms of the background of the band members and what you know, what sort of other music that they knew and the direction he's trying to go. And I think we talked about this before, you know, they can play the stuff that they rehearse crazy. I think it's ridiculous. Like the, they just kill it. But I sort of think that when you get into the more uh, improvisational type of stuff that I think he was trying to get into, I don't know if they all clicked with the same sort of background of music theory and what they understood and sort of like, you know, he, to me, Prince could sort of fall back into a lot of different genres that he just seems to know second nature wise. And I think like when you have a Sheila, Miko, uh, what's my man, Levi, and then you have uh, Eric and them, I think they all sort of share a certain sort of you know what? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Boom, we can just drop yeah. into that. They're, they're, they're more like his James Brown band type of thing. Yeah. He, he can band lead them. And well, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you make a good point because can you imagine the Sound of the Times band doing Baby, I'm a Star and vice versa? Can you imagine the Revolution doing uh, It's Going to Be a Beautiful Night the way they did it on tour? No. Well, the, I mean, yeah. well, the revolution did a beautiful night, actually. But, but the, I mean, the version that they did on tour, that version. Well, well right, yeah. I mean, when he starts to really lean in into more of sort of the blues, yeah, soul they, sort of or, or jazz sort of things, I think it's a different band. Personally, I think personally, I think Wendy could have hung with those cats, though, Mike. Thanks, sir. I agree. Out, out of all of all the ones in the original revolution, I think Wendy could have hung with Miko and Levi and them just fine. No, I don't. I don't know about Bobby Z and Doctor Fink and all the rest of them, you know. But I think they could have. She could have adapted well. Uh, but question, y'all did he see here? Um, Irresistible bitch on the uh, Purple Rain tour. That was Lisa. I mean, Wendy on the guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. That that says to me she could have hung. Well, no, I'm I'm saying, but I mean, obviously heavily rehearsed, he- heavily, you know practice and everything but i'm just saying in terms of when you listen to things like small club and you listen to some of those sign of times sort of uh after show performances <clears throat> they go in different shit that i don't i'm just saying i don't know if the like what's that song people without or different things or it seems like they just create that shit on the fly that's why i kind of wonder because if you listen to some of the 
rehearsals of the Purple Rain Band, when they sort of go off into some other stuff, to me it isn't really is you can kind of hear like ah, some people don't have the right harmony or something. Just I, I, there's one that comes to mind where um, they go into sort of like a Ray Charles thing. Uh, it was a Purple Rain tour rehearsal. It's very hilarious because you can sort of hear Prince's frustration a little bit when they're not getting the timing right. And it's, you know, and again, you it's not just a simple, just, you know, on point thing. It's that kind of, you need to be loose with it. And they were having a hard time. Yeah, but a, a lot of that too is also due to the, the musician's background too. I mean, well, let's be real. That's she, my whole Sheila, point. That's Sheila had a, a, a solid jazz background. She played with Harry Hancock, Quincy Jones, a right. number of other people. I know Eric Leeds did. I believe Levi did too. I think he had some some experience too. So a lot of those cats are so well versed in improvisation that right. they could they could go wherever Prince wanted to go. And that's probably why he wanted to go that direction with those cats. Right. That that was my whole point. That's what I'm saying. They have that background where he could, yeah, let's rock this, where he wouldn't have to necessarily spend too much time teaching them that. And I think he's a big kind of guy. I'm not really trying to teach you that that you got to have that feel. Now, it may be different now, but uh, <laughs> back uh, if, if I may. Sure. Go ahead. Um, you could just, you were just saying the direction he was going in. If you look at um, Parade, Sign of the Times, the the Black album before he shelved it, and some of uh, Love Sexy, it's kind of like he he went away from the guitar rock, the new age. He really didn't use, like, he didn't really have a guitar rock um, sound anymore with the exception of, what, The Cross, I think? So that, that might have had something to do with it as well. As maybe that wasn't the music he wanted to perform anymore, which Wendy and Lisa... Uh, were more so pushing or inspiring. Okay. Yeah, he might have put that in the background for a while because he resuscitated the guitar rock in the 90s, in 93, 94, 95. Right, right. Yeah. He went full force with that then. All right. Uh, We're going to take another quick, quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Crystal Ball. God damn it. (laughs) Hold on.
into his psyche for that year. It played into his psyche beyond that, too, because let's remember, he went through the same thing a few years later with the whole goal experience and the multiple configurations of yeah, that. Yeah, true. You know, true. so he was he was already soured probably at that point. And that's probably that's, why he didn't that's probably why he didn't care enough to really promote and push any of this stuff, because he was well, yeah. knowing Prince like we would think we know him. I could I could imagine a scenario where he slaves and comes up with this masterpiece of a, a group of songs. He takes it to the A&R. And they poo-poo it and say, well, it's too many songs. Is This is too long. Is this too that? You got to trim this and that. And he probably got pissed off right then and there and said, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to do what I do. Uh, two things real quick. To answer Mike's question, Crystal Ball needed to come out in 87 because I feel as great as it is, it's, it was kind of dated by 1998 when he released it, that album. And the second thing is, is how come Prince didn't try to give any type of concessions? Like, okay, this is what I want. What do I have to do to get this, get my vision pushed out? And I mean, somebody who's worked in the music industry that's on the panel could probably um, answer that better than uh, than I do. Is is there any type of uh, concessions a musician can give to a recording uh, uh, label? I don't know, points, uh, money back, or 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 anything like that to get their uh, vision of an album pushed out? I mean, I can only speculate that. I think any of those things could be brought to the table. Uh, I, I don't know if it would have changed the mind of a record company to take such a, you know, basically a very financial risk to put out a three album set from our artist who was not selling that big. I mean, that is a huge risk, regardless, irregardless of how good the music is. Again, we always know it's not about how the music sounds, right? Uh, it's really how they can market that. And, and you you got to also take into consideration the time frame of this stuff, too, now. Because remember, you know, in, in the 70s, they used to put out double albums all the time. You know, but it, it, this is the 80s now. You got all these big hits. To, like you said earlier, Mike, Whitney Houston and Bruce Springsteen and Madonna selling millions and millions of records. The, the game had changed then. So if you're going to come out with a double and triple album, you know, they got to be sure about you before they invest that kind of money. You know, the other thing to throw into this conversation, and this probably falls more to sign of the times itself, but, you know, though it may not have sold huge amounts of copies, you know, critically, it was heralded as, again, his greatest work at that point, one of the greatest albums of the year. I mean, in terms of his peers, everybody was like, yeah, you know, there's no question this guy is incredible. He's one of the best. And I think that Crystal Ball would have gained, would have gained just even probably it wouldn't have changed the critical acclaim. I don't think it may have it may have been a little bit more. But I'm just curious in terms of the mainstream public view. I, you know, more to think about, it, I don't even know if it would have mattered. Again, it really depends on how it was presented to them, I guess. Right. And at that point, Prince seemed right. to be on a let the music speak for itself sort of deal. I want to sort of transition into the live aspect as well. Um, but at that point, you know, as author brought up, Prince's tours were relegated to Europe, you know, to Europe audience, European audiences. America saw a glimpse of the hit and run tour, a very short glimpse. Uh, we didn't see sign of times at all. I think the only time that sh that show was performed here was, you know, obviously the legendary performance in Minneapolis, you know, before the album came out. But that was to whoever was in that room at that time, right? That was not to the general public. Uh, a very small audience of people. Whoa. What the hell was that? 
Uh, on me. <laughs> so in terms of, you know, Prince's performing of this stuff, we're sort of transitioning into the tour. And you can throw them somewhat in the movie because that's how a lot of us saw this as well. What do you think, I mean, would have the United States tour, if he would have toured the States with Sign of the Times, would that not have helped this album sort of come up a little bit? Uh, Arthur, what, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, I think I think it would have helped if he toured the States. Um, I think that we toured the States for Behind Sign of the Times, which is a really um, great stage setup. Um, lighting done by Roy Bennett, uh, Brendan Bennett's husband, uh, who today is actually doing the... Uh, uh, sets for Nine Inch Nails' tour. Hmm. Um, and he also did uh, Madonna's um, uh, Confessions on the Dance Floor tour. Um, but I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I think it would have I think it would have done well. Um, I, I, I don't know if it would have been a uh, a coast-to-coast sellout because there was a lot of activity in 87 that um, you know, Prince would have really had to have, have risen above and cut through. And, and, you know, in hindsight, years later, I think that it was, I think that it was smart that he kind of went on an exile um, from touring the U.S. Because it, re- it really made Love Sexy that much better of a, of a success for him in the States. Because that was uh, a, a sellout tour coast to coast in more cities than not. But, um... You know, any promotion is good promotion. And uh, I think in 87 with this album and with uh, us not seeing him live here in the States, it did help uh, did help the myth, the mythic qualities that I like to talk about um, with Prince. You know, you only you you, you, you see him in very limited, uh, very limited um, times and states. Um, you, you, last week you talked about um, the MTV Awards. How I don't even know if he was announced that he was even going to perform, but he opened that show with Sign of the Times and Playing the Sunshine. And you saw a completely different look for him. And then you didn't see him, you know, months and months and months, um, you know, later, unless you were looking at, you know, Rolling Stone and, you know, saw some photos of the tour and, you know, in random notes. But, um, yeah, yeah, it would have helped. But I, I think I think from an economic standpoint for him personally. It, it, it was probably a probably a smart move not to tour the states behind that album. See, I have to disagree with you on that one. <laughs> I just I don't know, man. I think to the mainstream people, I, I, again, the mis- the mystique part of Prince definitely wouldn't matter one way or the other. I think to the, sort of the people already buying into Prince like me and stuff, but not being able to see him i always felt like i knew about prince but nobody else did like none of my friends knew about it and you know they knew who prince was but there was nothing popping so they didn't they didn't know about oh man you hear that great song on this record or they knew nothing and you know they were caught into other things that were going on i just feel like if he had a presence in just the popular culture of music whether you want to say it's in pop R&B, whatever. I just think he should have been there. Like, again, you know, his peers were there. And he was equal playing field with them talent-wise and songs. But I just feel like his songs weren't uh, recognized. But, but Mike, I don't, I don't think that presence would necessarily have to have been a concert in the States. The thing is that 
And when we've talked about Prince's concert goings on in the States at length and that how we wish he would play the albums that he's that he releases now and he would do a concert for the album that got released in this year or whatever maybe you know mm-hmm. and instead he plays all these older hits right. i think that would still be true back in 87 he'd be paying a lot of 1999 dirty mind uh, uh you know all the older stuff no. that would have been considered older stuff then um where if he goes to europe he can concentrate on playing the newer stuff and get a crazier a, a bigger fan base and really collect on that. I mean, he had a good fan base here in the States. His fan base was growing still overseas. So he, he could really emphasize the idea of let the music speak for itself because that's the music that he's presenting to them is this new music in this new uh, concert. And, and, and I think that's why you saw it mostly over there. I do agree that he should have done a, videos for it that should be presented here in the States. Um, just the the movie alone, way after the fact, was wrong. It should have been set, it should have been released almost around the time of the album release, or maybe even before the album release. Um, and and it would have been it would have done a lot here. But the concert a concert here in the states, the way he presented it overseas, I don't think would have benefited him so much here. I, I agree as, with that totally. I mean, son, this is sophisticated music that Prince was playing. And a European audience is more attuned to sophisticated music and more, more willing to give, give you know, new music a chance. But mm. Prince has always been the guy that our friends just don't get unless they listen to you know, this album. You know what I'm saying? And it's true. And he's been touring. He toured in 1999. <clears throat> but people didn't really get... Prince, unless they really <coughs> listen to him, he Purple Rain. You know, same, same. I mean, that put him on the cover of People magazine. So soccer moms were going to Prince shows. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he 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 did he did the promotion uh, for MTV for uh, uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. You know, to open to open uh, uh, the parade tour and uh, promote Under the Cherry Moon. You know, he he did two videos for Sign of the Times. He did You Got the Look, and he did Sign of the Times. Actually, right. Uh, but 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 uh, uh, no he played. Play. A, he used it as a trump card uh, for MTV because MTV wasn't going to play Jill Jones's Mia Boca video because they thought it was too raunchy or some you know some crap like that. So Prince has always been there. I mean, he's been on the cover of Rolling Stone since 1983, 1984, 1985, 1986. He's been around. So it it, it wasn't like uh, uh, doing another tour for a record that was very sophisticated for a lot of people's ears was going to get. Well, well, it wasn't going to be a silver bullet. You don't think Love Sexy was more sophisticated, if, if that's the word we'll use. But to me, that was way over, damn near over my head. And I was in the game. And he did a full tour on that. Started with playing those songs. Like, he didn't start out, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But I just that seen, tour sold out because people hadn't seen Prince for two years. That's the point I'm well, making. True, but at the same point, at Sign of Times, they hadn't seen Prince since Purple Rain, which was more than two years ago. Uh, no, <laughs> Prince had been Prince had been around. He had a movie in 1986. That was a flop. <laughs> I understand that, but I'm saying he'd been around. It was it, 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 it wasn't like David Bowie, right? It wasn't like you know Bowie puts out puts out you know uh, uh, Tonight in 1984 with blue jean 
and then you don't hear from him again until damn near four years later with right. like, Tin Machine. Well, you know, and I'm not a heavy Bowie guy, so my chronology of his albums might be off or anything. But I'm just saying, it wasn't like Prince put an album out, put it around around the world in a day, and then disappeared for three years. Well, no, it's like this. Here's the last thing I would say is that he's coming off of a huge disappointment. Under the Cherry Moon was bad. You know, the perception of it, the public perception was it was a joke, right? And I'm thinking right. to turn that around is to put the one thing that he does that was unquestionably dope. And that would be to go on tour and to change the goodwill so people would say, you know what? I forget all about that movie. It was horrible. This guy is dope. Go get his new record. Because, man, the people, I just think the people were so tainted by their experiences with Around the World in the Day. And I'm just saying in terms of mainstream what they expected. I think they were tainted by their expectations of Cherry Moon, not just the movie, but the album. I think without Kiss, it would have been a flop. And I still love that album. I'm just saying in terms of the success for people to see. And I just think they felt like, you know what? If you buy something by Prince, there's really only that one thing you're going to like. The rest is going to be some crap. Mm -hmm. But I think this album was was the difference of that to say, you know what? No, there's a lot of dope songs on here. And let me win you back. And I'm going to show you, let me do the one thing that I do that works without question, as opposed to leave it to whatever it was. So that, that's just my opinion. And I think the sign of the times, the video, again, he lost because at the end of the day, he should have done a proper video because only was going to help him. MTV survived regardless, uh, whatever little things he's playing. So I just think I that was not necessarily good. Big Ken. Yes, sir. Way, way in, sir. I don't think it would have made much of a difference, Mike. I've been saying that all the time, man. I just think Prince is just one of those cats, man, that he's so supremely ruled by what he wants to do music-wise that he does not care beyond that. You understand? In other words, he in other words, he does what he does to service his art as he sees fit. So I don't know whether doing an extra tour in the country would have changed anything in a major way. I, I don't really I don't think it would have. Because he just doesn't fit, he doesn't fit the realm of what pop music was. Now he may have, he could have done some things and garnered more success, but I just think he's just one of those artists that just uh, was destined to be outside the box, so to speak. Okay. You know, I agree with everything that got you guys are saying, but also keep in mind, Prince is a sophisticated artist, and his music is sophisticated. When you have a bigger tour, like I'll use the Purple Rain tour. When you have a bigger tour like that, you're kind of stuck in playing the hits because you have a wider audience. You've got to bring the, lack of a better word, intensity level down. I'm, I'm thinking about the 1984 birthday concert at Paisley Park. First thing he said when he came out, say, look, if you came here to hear a little red Corvette, that ain't going to work. And if he said that at one of his later tours, like with Sign of the Time, he said, look, I'm not doing 1999. I'm not doing a little red Corvette. So know that going in, because that's the same thing David Bowie did, you know, after he stopped doing the Ziggy Stardust stuff. He said, look, I'm not doing that anymore. So if you're here to see that, you know, you may as well just not, not, not even come out. And when he did the Third Eye Girl tour, same thing. It was primarily new stuff and stuff that we hadn't heard, the stuff we hadn't heard live before, and it got over really well. So I'm thinking, had he done the Sign of the Times tour on a smaller scale, with that caveat in mind, then the people 
who are all about the artistic and creative side would have been there. That would have X'd out the soccer moms, which would have X'd out some revenue, but sometimes you can't have both. You can't have all the revenue and all the, the creative freedom. Sometimes you have to you know, let one go in favor of the other. I don't. I don't mean to contradict uh, Big Sexy, but it's. I will get on the plane. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> you cut out. What'd you say? No, I said it's ironic that he listed. I know. I know it's points, but it's ironic he listed those two songs because both of those are in the set list. Ah, I see what you're saying. Well. You know, Don't let me get on the plane, <laughs> in terms of in terms of the Prince and like the so the Sign of the Times tour and the the set list and the songs, yeah, is it heavy on the Sign of the Times album? Yes, but that is, in my opinion, par for course for every tour he had done at that point, where he would be heavy onto whatever album he was at that time. He would sprinkle in some of the hits from a couple albums and throw them in in the in the set list, but his set list was never entirely made up of past albums it was always the new stuff that's i mean that's he's always done that until probably uh we won't even get into that but so i mean i mean to me i don't know i just don't see to me the difference is this you can bring up the prince of today and like you know why is he not doing those tours based off of 3121 and musicology and playing them songs because those songs aren't really that good now when your songs are all dope I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm saying this now later, but there's no question that you can do a tour on Purple Rain. Every song was a hit, whether it was released or not. Everybody knew it, right? 1999, it's the jam. Uh, I would argue around the world today, which is how he started the parade tour, was basically that started off with those songs off of that album, some of the songs off of that album and the album of Parade, which were not big hits. That shit would have worked here in America, that's my opinion. Because it was just the way they presented this the show was presented to us was very entertaining, energetic, soulful, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like signing times would have been the same way. Now, we'll move, we'll, we'll keep moving, we'll slide into the movie a little bit. So American audiences finally do get to see the live prince in a movie. And I'm going to say this, and I'll let somebody else speak. I love that movie. That is one of the hallmarks of his career, in my opinion. But I will say this. If you coming off of box office floppery to that level, I think doing a movie is not the way to go. If that's not your primary artistic function, it means to me, it'd be like if if Kanye West album flopped and now he's focusing on doing clothes. We're probably not going to buy the clothes that much. I mean, that's just not what we focus on you. No matter what you think, that ain't what we, we're not feeling that. And I just think with Prince, with that movie, as dope as I think it is, I think people were like, I'm never going to pay another cent on going to see no Prince movie. That's my opinion. Big Ken. I agree with you, man. It's a, it's a masterpiece to me. I love it. I've watched it. I've lost count of how many times I've seen it. Uh, but I just think it's a victim of timing. You're right. It came out after the flop that is under the cherry moon and all the stuff that happened with, with that. And it just, it never, never picked up any steam. It never went anywhere. And it's, it's a shame because it should have. Uh, Sean, what, what's your opinions on the movie? 
Uh, I love the movie. I actually just watched it uh, the other night with my uh, eight-year-old. She she thought it was entertaining. Uh, I think part of the problem it was put together so so quickly that proper promotion wasn't able to be done with it. And again, with him not caring about the project anymore, I mean, he was already on to Love Sexy at this point, so he wasn't going to promote it. It was basically, I'm not going to tour here. Here's the movie. Enjoy it. You know, so it wasn't there. There just really wasn't a, a big, big push for it. I, I think we talked about this one other time where I saw it, and I think there were like five people in the theater, and this was you know opening night that it came out. So I, I just think that that. You add all of that stuff together, no promotion, uh, his lack of enthusiasm for it, uh, you know, it being put together so quick that they really didn't have time to put together this big marketing uh, splash that it, it, it ultimately failed. Although it did get very good uh, critical reviews. Uh, Siskel and Ebert both gave it very enthusiastic thumbs up. Um, there were a bunch of, you know, print ads. A lot of the critics, you know, loved it. But unfortunately, you know, just the people who should have seen it didn't go out to see it, didn't support it. Yeah, you remember, you know how they marketed it? I always I remember this. <laughs> it was they sent uh, Kat. And Sheila. Yeah. Oh, and there was the other dude. What was was it? Wally or whatever the brother with the, the with hat. the hat. Oh, that's they went Brooks. on. Uh, yeah, Cat and Brooks went on uh, Video Soul with Donnie Simpson oh, and did damn. the interview, <laughs> and we're like trying to play up like if maybe there was a relationship there or not. And I was like, that need to be Prince. Like, I mean, I would again. I'm all into it, so. I, but I'm just I'm managing for the general public. They don't know who the hell Cat is, first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so like, okay, uh, who? Something to do with Prince. And so I, yeah, I mean, his. You know, it's funny that sort of marketing is the sort of marketing he does now. You know, go let me go put Hannah or whoever out there, and I'm sure the general public is like, who are these people? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, author, I'm sure you've seen the movie. What's your thoughts on? Yeah, the, uh, I, I would have preferred that it would have been a little more. Um, uh, well, if he if Prince wasn't the one with the director credit, you know, um, I'm thinking about the Talking Heads stop saying stop making sense movie, which was uh, a really good presentation of their music and a and just a very good you know concert film. Um, Sign of the Times also is a very good concert film, um, although the great majority of it is soundstage, you know show run through material but it really showed his his powers as an arranger and a band leader the way that it the, the for me like the centerpiece of the whole movie is housequake where what you heard on the record was completely transformed into just a just a funk onslaught you know featured C- Sheila E um you know featured 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 Prince, of course, but I mean featured Cat as a dance partner, mm-hmm. you know, and and Cat really, you know, say what you will about Cat, but she served a great purpose for Prince for having somebody that he could dance with, mm-hmm. and do these kinds of you know, and do these kinds of uh, uh, you know moves and choreography, you know, just to give him some you know someone to 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 kind of feed off of, you know. Um, I, I do remember when when a friend, a good friend of mine, we went and saw. The movie, it was like in a matinee one day. We walked out of that theater with our mouths just dropped open. <laughs> and 
got somebody else and went right back some hours later to see the movie again, you know, that night. Um, and it, it really was a, a, a shot to say, this is what I'm on now. This is what you've missed. And I do think that when he came back a year later with the Love Sexy Tour, particularly in the States, it really, really fueled desire to go see Prince because this was not the Prince that they saw during the Purple Rain Tour. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, I already told my story about that movie. You know, I did see it with a packed house and then I saw it again. And again, there wasn't that many people there. I recently saw the movie, man, I mean, about three years ago now. It was um, a little art house theater was showing it. And it still <coughs> is like, you can't help but not just sit. I mean, I've seen it hundreds of times, but I still stayed and watched the whole thing. It was like everybody was in it. It was a really small crowd, but I just... I can imagine seeing that on a big screen, like just really big screen. It's just, it's an amazing movie. And yeah, it's, it's even more amazing when you consider it's lip synced and different things of that nature. Yeah. But you don't know I mean, that. That's just nitpicking. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, but in terms of you assume that it's, well, at least to me, I always assumed it was live because it just looked, it was, if I look for things I can see where, okay. Mm-hmm. But. I, he acted well in this Right, they movie. were really playing this music. Yeah, and he was just like, wow, amazing. Like, And, you know, I always say, too, you know, I've seen it, obviously, in a, uh, it's one of these HD TVs. Looks freaking insane. Like, it just looks so real. Like, you're just like, ah! You just want to touch it and just jump in there. Uh, oh, one quick thing, ahead. one really, really quick thing. It was, a, it was a strong, strong, strong statement to have Sheila E., a woman, playing drums for Prince. Oh, yeah. That, that, ex- I would tell people, oh, well, Sheila's playing, Sheila's playing for Prince. And even, like, not even heavy Prince people, but they, they knew Glamorous, like, they knew Sheila, you know what I mean? They were like, what? <laughs> you know? It's like, that was unheard of. Yeah, it um, was. His, it, his question I had, uh, I understand Sheila wasn't as big a star as Prince, but she did have two solo albums, Two relatively good hit songs, Glamorous Life and Love's Bazaar. Did anybody think that she took a step back being no. a Prince's drummer? No, no she's been wanting to do that for years. Yeah. Oh, well, no, no, she's always been like that. I, 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 mean, I would kind of. I could. For me personally, I was a big fan of Sheila E. I only say she took a step back to me because when her third album came out, I thought that album was dope. And I felt like she just said, F that album. I'm going to go play drums. <laughs> And I kind of wanted to see them like, where's the other singles? Like, this album is dope. And I could kind of tell, like, they just said, you know what, do Cuckoo, and I'm going to go do this band thing, which was dope. But I wish that she still continued to be Sheila E., the, you know, the pop star sort of Sheila E., because I was a fan of her. I mean, she was in Crush Groove. Baby was looking good. I was like, right. <laughs> but I will give this to Sheila. The last thing I'll say, when we saw the movie... Whoa, and there's the part where she's playing drums with her solo. And she's obviously excited or whatever. That's like, that was an Apollonia moment almost to me. I was like, <laughs> Damn. I have, I, I have two questions about the movie and, and see if anybody has any theories. Uh, first, why do you think he omitted the non-Sign of the Times material? And then the second question is, why do you think he flip-flopped the ending, where putting uh, the cross at the end versus it's going to be a beautiful night. Any theories? 
Yeah. Well, Sign of the Times was Sign of the Times. The movie was the companion piece for the album, so it goes back to Michael saying, "Well, you know, what if he toured the U.S. in support of that album?" And that's what the purpose of that was for. Um, the um, the part about flipping the the ending, I, I I think that it has to do with him making making a statement, putting a period on on um, what his overarching theme was for that album. Uh, you know, on that album, he used he used three icons. He used a, a, a heart to symbolize love, sex. I think I said this last week, but you know, he used a heart, he used a peace symbol, you know, and he used a a, a cross. Right. And so right. The, there's his faith, his love, and 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 his his you know, I, I guess you know, peace for all mankind. Um, and and I think that um, ending it with the cross was probably the stronger ending because you've got it's going to be a beautiful night this on you know this ensemble you know rah-rah tune and then going out and ending on an anthem screen goes black credits start rolling you just leave that movie with that that's the last thing that you remember when you you know get up and you know leave the movie theater okay that makes sense all right um moving forward as well so let's just talk about sort of the ending legacy of this album uh impressions of it the whole so oh you know we got to bring up the look of prince as well right mm. like the style that he came with was different style for this album and the album cover so let's go back to the album cover and the style of prince you know one of the first looks that we get is the sign of the times 12 inch the artwork you know uh, with cat on the cover and you People weren't sure if it was Prince or Cat. Uh, and I was looking at that. I was like, that is not. I mean, he can be effeminate and funny style, but he ain't that funny. Style. Not, you know, I was like, come on now. But uh, Big Sexy, what, what was your take on Prince's style during Sign of the Times? Did you like that look that he had? Well, I, I enjoyed the look. And I, I remember when the 12 inch came out, you know, I, I of course had to have it the first day. And a friend of mine, oh, it's Prince. That's not Prince, you idiot. Oh, it's, no, it isn't. You're an idiot. Go away. And then subsequently, when you see the visual at the MTV Awards, I'm like, okay, we're doing something different now. We're wearing denim. You know, we've got more of a rock look as opposed to the polish presentation that was under the Cherry Moon and that parade look. Now we're doing something a little more, a little more, uh, rug- not say rugged, but a little more, you know, unkempt. And I enjoyed it, you know, and you have a, a whole entirely different band makeup. I remember when that came out, I'm looking at the band, I'm like, okay, there's Sheila playing drums, and there's Dr. Fink. Who are the rest of you guys? Let's just see where it goes. And it was like a update on the extended revolution because I see that he kept, you know, Brooks and Stafford. He lost Jerome and added Cat instead of Jerome, and Miko was still running around. But these weren't really people you knew. These were more like side people. You know, where's Bobby? You know, where's Winnie and Lisa? So once you got past the initial shock of the appearance, you could see it was something different. And once he started playing at the award show, he had me with uh, playing the sunshine. That was it. I was done. So I was I was all about that new look. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the band. I think that MTV thing served a really good purpose, too. You know, when the band comes out with the drums yep. through, through the aisles and stuff. And I was like, what? 
<laughs> you know, I kind of had the same opinion as you. Damn, I, I, there goes Sheila. There go baby, baby girl right there. Now, who arrested these people? Um, Big Ken. So yep. g- g- give me your thoughts on the presentation of the new band. And we're going to go <coughs> also want to throw into this the, the Minneapolis performance. I mean, we didn't see that at the time. So I don't think all of us did. But now that we have seen that show, like, in terms of comparing what you saw there from where he had been just with the uh, parade revolution. Well, in terms of that Minneapolis show, yeah, you're right. We didn't see it at the time, but we've seen it since then. And and you could tell that it was a it was a practice run. It was a first show. You know, it was a the public unveiling of of his band to his local uh local fan base there at at, at that club. And you can just tell how they were running through the songs, you know, and he even said it, "Hey, you know, we don't we're going to try some new stuff, you know, just bear with us." You know, and then what you saw in the movie, you know, was much much more polished and, you know, fine-tuned uh in regards to uh what big sexy was just saying i i completely agree you know when it the, the presentation that that's the one thing about being a prince fan that i've always tried to explain to people now it, it, it's not so much now but during the 80s as you all know every album had the theme every album he had the look he had a certain style that went along with it everything through the cover art to the 12 inch singles was always coordinated so I was I was fascinated with the the, the sign of the times twelve inch cover too, and I, I saw that I too knew it wasn't Prince, but I had the same argument with my cousin who was a hardcore Michael Jackson fan, and every time I would turn around, she was like Michael bad and Prince over there gay on the cover. I'm like, no, that's not Prince fool, and we would get into arguments all the time. But I had the same battles and uh, I had the same reactions. I mean, it was to me the whole thing was great. It was a brilliant marketing move, really. I mean, they should. In, in retrospect, they should have really pushed that a little bit more, because not only did you have the sign of the times, twelve inch cover with you know cat with the big heart, and you didn't know if that was Prince or not. When you finally got the album cover, you just saw a little bit of Prince down at the bottom right of the corner, and he he's kind of you know blurry, like he's walking away from the camera, and you didn't really even really know truly that was Prince, you know, by the way that, that, that his look was for a photograph there. So the whole thing was masterfully done in my opinion I, I I love the whole thing and of course you know the peach and black you know the leather that whole utopian look with the little thing in his hair and the curls and all that I mean you know I gotta give it to my man he's cool he's uh he got style I couldn't rock that but he got style. <laughs> <laughs> oh some of us tried let me tell you you know, uh, I, I can't rock those heels, man. I'm six oh, three, no, three hundred and thirty no. pounds. I can't rock them heels. Oh, no, that's, no, that that's don't a, work. That's a podcast in itself. One day, <laughs> get into that. I think the you gotta don't forget about the glasses. The glasses yes, just yes. just showed a kind of a more mature, you know, aspect to them, more deeper, you know, more depth, if you will. I think that that the just the ad, addition of that too just kind of helped as well that's like that picture that's inside the album cover yes, yes. Where, where he's in that white outfit and he's got the glasses and he's kind of sitting next to a window yeah like uh, in the sun in the sunlight with this real introspective look on his face i mean it's yeah. pretty dope i always remember that picture man that's why that's yeah. true i always think sometimes that, that would have been a real cool ass album cover too it would have it made it have a whole different feel like you say kind of more mature sort of like is this the prince from the same guy that was wearing the crazy like yeah he's 
he seemed like he's older or something was more relaxed but you know as it stands with the with the album cover that they released that album cover is still super dope man because yeah. that was before we knew what the tour was and what that was and you Very probably true. saw the album cover and you're like what the hell is this you see the the grill of a car and you see all these neon signs you don't know what you, you, i'm like what the hell is this i couldn't wait to get home to, to hear what this was about <laughs> you know right that's a great thing and that album cover like a lot of great album covers back then sort of gave us things it let our imaginations run in my opinion like i would listen to that record look at that cover and you would you know, just your imagination starts to run and you hear him sort of slightly mention some of the things uh, on the album cover. I think it was in the cross. You know, uh, he sort of calls out some of the visual cues and it always makes me like, man, did he plan that before or was it after? Like, yeah, this dude was really into his stuff. Like everything. Yeah, was I mean, it makes you look for parallels like you would with uh, the around the world in the day cover and, and its tracks and how how there are so many references to it. But with with this one, I mean, I remember just looking at it for hours, just trying to find little clues in as to what was going to happen, or, or like you said, Mike, is this something that he had planned out one hundred percent? You're looking at, at part of that, the 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 speakers on there that that are straight out from back in the Revolution uh, mm-hmm. parade days, and you see little glimpses of Paisley in there still, but are getting faded out as you're going. To to the part where the car is at, when one of the headlights is yellow and the other one isn't, and and how it, there's almost like two sides of that album cover. It, it's it's just so wild and, and so different that, that you just have to look at it and try to dissect it. It's just so much stuff going on. And keep in mind, there's no text on the cover at all. That's right. There's None no at all. Te- there's not a word on the cover. I mean, you know it's Prince, but I mean they had a plastic overlay, I believe. With the you sticker know, on it. With the sticker on it, but there's Who's no there? no name of the album, no nothing. Who still has their sticker? Show of hands. Uh, I actually, I actually have nah. a copy. I actually have a, a, an original vinyl copy, so I still have the sticker. Wow. I, I still have my sticker from the from the album. Of course, you can't throw something like that away. <laughs> it's it's still in the vault. My copy, so I had to buy. <laughs> oh, buy my mm-hmm. second hand. All right. <clears throat> Uh, in turn, we've sort of spoke about this in the last couple shows about the Grammys and things of that nature. But just lastly, I mean, whoa, typing pretty hard there. Um, oh, sorry about that. What What do you guys, uh, at the end of the day, what do you see this album in terms of Prince's career? Was this this highest point of creativity ever? Or was there more heights that he went after this? Uh, I want to start at... Whoa. Somebody's really loud there. Ernie, I'm going to have to turn you down. Um, so. Sorry, Mike, you kind of cut out. I couldn't hear you very well. You're like real loud, Ernie. Uh, you all right? Are you, you got, okay hearing me okay now? Yeah, you got air or something in your mic. Oh, there's an airplane flying over. Sorry okay. about that. This is going to be the episode of Madness. But <laughs> <laughs> to get back to no. it... You, when you were saying the question, it kind of cut out here. I couldn't hear you very well. So okay. So I'm going to say it again. In terms of this album overall, does this signal the highest creativity peak for Prince? Is it his greatest album? Um, or did it all sort of start to 
go downhill. Not that it went downhill, but does it kind of get to the apex, get to the top of the triangle, and now the only way is to sort of slide down a little bit. I want to go to author. So basically, sir, I'm asking you for your lastly takeaways from this album, the tour, everything that happened with this album project. The floor is yours. Um. <clears throat> I, I, I think I think this is him at his uh, creative apex. It was uh, the result of his most openly collaborative period, I think, in his career um, with Wendy and Lisa primarily. They their fingerprints are all over uh, the original material that was Crystal Ball that distilled down to to this album. I uh, I also think that that this was this was his statement um, of of kind of a um rediscovering his 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 own individual individuality as prince um he, he disbands the revolution uh, he, he puts he puts a drum set on uh on his album cover he puts an organ on his album cover signaling that this is what what you're about to hear is 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 gonna be different music um a lot goes to a lot of credit goes to um the art director laura la pluma for that for that artwork um She'd been doing his album since uh, Purple Rain and uh, went all the way through to the Love Sexy album, creating the, uh, creating the font um, and the, the photography of Jeff Katz, uh, who did photography for Parade, this album, Love Sexy, uh, and, and came back again for Raven to the Joy Fantastic. He did uh, the photography for that album as well. Um, Prince used this album to give a signal to some of us who had been uh, with him and maybe had gotten lost during the Around the World and Day and Parade albums. You know, he puts the he puts the trench coat back on, but it's it's you know it's not a purple trench coat with you know, with you know spikes on the lapel. It's a black trench coat. He puts the earring, the big hoop gold earring that you last saw in Purple Rain, back in his ear. He picks up the guitar that you last saw in Purple Rain. He hardly touched the guitar during the Parade tour, um, but puts that um, prominently on the back of the of the 12 inch around Cat's neck, you know, and plays that opening with Sign of the Times and playing the Sunshine. Um, but creatively in the music, this is the music that that he he yeah. I mean it's it's so geekish to say that, you know, he's never done music like this, you know, ever or since. And then I mean, you know, and that's not true. But it's this this album is uh and I know I said this before on the show, but this album is his statement. This is his Led Zeppelin Four. This is his Exile on Main Street. This is his songs in the key of life. You know, this is the one album that when you want to pass something on to another generation to say that, okay, you're ready to get, you know, the only Prince album that you really need. You know what I mean? The only so-and-so album that you really need. You're ready to listen to this. You know, it's, it's, it's Sign of the Times. And it's, it's also the album that made, um, the perception of Prince as a musician and um, uh, a composer and a lyricist. I mean, we're at, he's at the height of his lyrical uh, prowess during this album. Um, if I Was Your Girlfriend Alone confirms, confirms that statement. Um, the, the, the world community of musicians sat straight up after Sign of the Times came out because they knew that they could not do music like this. Sign of the Times lost to U2's Joshua Tree and the 1987 Grammys. 
and Bono name checks Prince during the acceptance speech because it's like Bono knows <laughs> we got a good album, but Prince that that Sign of the Times album is is a better album than what than, you know than what this is. You know, um, it gave Prince a lot of credibility, and and he's been he's been you know spending on that credit, you know, all the way to this day. It's a it's 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 the single most important album in Prince's career. Period. All right, Big Ken. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I, I, I I'm kind of conflicted. I, I guess I'll have to. I agree with Arthur for the most part because he's right. I mean, if you you talk to the average Prince fan, you know, and you ask them what their favorite album is, a large cross section of them will come out and tell you "Sound of the Times" is the best. And it does have a lasting appeal and a lasting impression, and its place in history is secure. It could have been a lot bigger had he done some of the things that we talked about, but, you know, he did what he did. But I'm, I'm, a hesitant, I'm hesitant to say that that this is his creative apex. I, it's, it's his creative apex in the sense of the classics that we know, the classics that we've come to, to love and respect about Prince. But he had a few other co- nice creative periods after this. I mean, the Love Sexy period to me was very creative. I mean, the stuff that he did in between 93 and 95, you know, the Comcast and Disorder, Gold Experience, all that unreleased material, stuff that he did for Glam Slam Ulysses, a lot of that stuff got buried underneath um, a lot of the troubles that he was having with the record label and all that stuff. So a lot of that stuff people just glossed over. And he had a, a pretty expansive catalog of music to deal with there. He did had a nice creative period during Rainbow Children. You know, he's got something nice going on right now with the whole Third Eye Girl thing. So, I mean, those don't equate to what he did here in the 80s. But, you know, I, just based off of uh, knowing Prince like we know him, I mean, he's always creating. But I, I'd probably at the end of the day would have to agree that, you know, Sign of the Times probably is what he's going to be known for the most, and to, at least to most, most of the Prince camp. Everybody else is going to just pick Purple Rain because that's what they know. All right. Big Sexy and Sack, what's your thoughts on this album? I was prepared to argue that 1999 would have been his creative masterpiece, but the more I thought about it and hearing Arthur and Ken talk about it, 1999 is, is to me, more like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. It is a suite of music that tells you know, one conscious idea. I mean, it's not as cohesive as what's going on, but you know when you hear 1999, you know it's all in the same vein. Whereas Sign of the Times, it's a collection that was originally three, and then they whittled it down to two. And again, I don't want to you know, piggyback what Arthur said and what Ken said, but this is, this is the one. This is the... The prime focus. There are other things that he's been. He's been as creative, but not in a cumulative fashion like this. He hasn't put together a collection with this impact, creativity-wise, since then. Now, I don't think he's at the. I don't think that was apex of his creativity. He has done other things, but the overall package. This is the one. This is the one you can turn on to people, and it gives them credibility. Because if you go to someone and say. Like a, a, a casual fan, okay, yeah, Purple Rain or Little Corvette. No, no. You need to know the real stuff. That's like with the Beatles. You can say, she loves you. Yeah, okay. Then you hit them with Rubber Soul. Oh, 
now I see what these cats are talking about. This is that type of uh, album. This is the one that really sets him apart from the limitations of pop radio and, and things of that nature on a, on a much larger scale. It introduced him to the world saying, look, I am a serious artist. I'm in that conversation with Stevie Wonder, with Paul McCartney, with David Bowie. That's where I belong. And he earned it and he showed it. And the album still holds up after all these years. And I still, you know, to this day, and I'm glad Ken is here to hear this, I'm looking every week for the HD tracks re-release of the high-resolution mix so I can compare this to the vinyl. Because I, I want the best possible expression of this album that I can get. This is the one that stands, stands the test of time. All right. I want to change the question a little bit going to uh, day dropping. So in terms of your personal you know, uh, take on Prince albums or tastes or love, where does this album fall for you? In terms of my personal taste, um, it's, it's right at the top. It is right at the top. Uh, again, I'm a big fan of artists that can uh, really do different types of sounds and, and make them work and, and give their own uh, uh, signature on the different sounds that they do. And, and um, I I like to think that I was, I was so lucky to have uh, uh, fallen into listening to Prince's music, to dig his music this way, and to enjoy the artist as much, to, to have selected an artist that can do just that. Loving music the way I do and the composition music the way that I do that to hear somebody do something like this and and I think his album this album is if if it isn't the top spot I'm gonna say it's a top spot until I can think of something another one of his albums but I don't know if I can um, because it's just it's so creative it's so consistently creative I should say and I think that's what the key word is it was, it's a consistently creative album um and that's what drives it forward and to know that this album was a hybrid paired down of a, a greater visions then it's wow it just blows you blows it up even more for me but yeah in the long, bigger scheme of things this is one of the greater albums for me all right now mr sean hill i want to ask you this question all right Compared between Sign of Times and his other double vinyl album, 1999, which do you think has made a more impact on the mainstream? Uh, well, I would say, well, 1999, definitely, because I think that's what brought him into the mainstream. And, you know, you've got his more accessible tracks, you know, 1999, well, the first side, 1999, Little Red Corvette, and Delirious. I would say what probably ninety nine point nine of Prince fans. That's what, or not Prince fans, non Prince fans like us. That's what they think of when they think of Prince. They don't think of Housequake. They don't think of If I Was Your Girlfriend or The Cross or Adore. They think of those three tra- tracks. So I think just mainstream accessibility, nineteen ninety nine. But as far as overall quality and staying power, Sign of the Times, no doubt. I, I've often called Sign of the Times. Prince could have dropped the mic after Sign of the Times and never recorded anything else, and it would have been still had the same impact that it has with the subsequent work. 
I mean, the first four tracks on that album are bona fide classics. And we covered this in, in the part one. Sign of the Times, Playing the Sunshine, Housequake, uh, Battle of Dorothy Parker. You could drop the mic after that. I'm done. You know, <laughs> release that as an EP and you still got you got gold. All right. You know, just hearing you talk about that, this will sound kind of weird, but I would actually put 1999 above Sign Times only because for me, like there are moments on 1999 that is just like, so to me, like a song like Little, uh, not Little, um, ah, Lady Cab Driver. That will always be essential jam to me. Like I just, I haven't heard him do nothing that kills that, and it's just too many like dope songs on that record to me. And you know, when I think about the encompassment of again, he came with a new look in 1999, which is very iconic. The purple sort of aluminum, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, trench coat. The, you know, just all of that. That was one that came out. I mean, that was a whole new look. The presentation he had, you know, he had the badass white girl on stage, you know, Jill, Jill Jones. I mean, I just remember Let's seeing that video. Yeah, I was like, God. And, you know, just the music was just crazy. And DMSR, I mean, he had jams. And he had, you know, the R&B stuff. The only thing I think it made it you could argue was missing sort of from 1999 was more of rock based stuff, but he had free, which I think was an excellent song. So, but I would just say personally for me, I think 1999 still is more tightly cohesive than sign of times in my opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, but they're both, I mean, I think in their times, they are the shining achievements in, in, from Prince coming off of those first three albums or four albums and doing 1999, he's a head bus. Yes, And then, but isn't it isn't it ahead. just a head bus for him to do Purple Rain, Round the Run of Day Parade, and then come out with Sign of the Times? Uh see, personally, Purple Rain is a head buster album, in my opinion. But I think that those other albums after that are crazy to people who are who have fed into Prince and eat and bleed it. But for regular people, I don't think they are. I think they're like, what is this crap? Uh, again, even I, I, personally, I would, if Prince would have gave me more Purple Rain or more 1999 after Purple Rain, I would have been the happiest guy on the planet. It may not have been, I wouldn't have to work to understand it. But again, those albums are, I, I love that style, the Minneapolis funk. I mean, that's what got me into it. That's what still keeps me here to this day. So I like that stuff. But I do love where he went with it. It it made me grow. But at the same point, yeah, I wish he did kind of rock that style just a little bit more. But then again, I have the Time albums. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not mad at that. It's like 1999. That's the Mad Scientist album for me. We did a whole show on 1999. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Deserves it, you know. And, you know, it's interesting to think that, I mean, here's an artist who has two double albums that are both bangers. Like and they're, they're, they're packaged exactly the same. They're, they're not yeah. gatefolds. Very true. Very true. And they're banging albums. Like, they're not throwaway BS albums. They are tentpoles in their careers. 
Anthony. Yes, sir. Give us now, Anthony. I, I would, if I'm mistake, correct me if I'm wrong. You're probably one of the younger guys on the group, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm 36. Okay. So, in, in in your viewpoint of Sign of Times, where does that album sit for you? Well, for me, I have a different perspective. As sure. I was 10, so at 10 years old. I, I didn't understand the music game. All I knew was what the radio was playing, what MTV put out on the world, what, uh, what was it, Casey Kasem put out on Saturday. <laughs> so it was like, well, if I didn't see that, then I didn't hear about it. I didn't come to learn and appreciate this album till around, and please forgive me, 1999. Um, that's when that. Napster got big. I started understanding and appreciating music, and I went back. And found all those tracks online. I've since went and bought the album in case Prince is listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but that's the yeah, thing, though. You're not supposed to get it right away. I mean, it's an album like that. It's an album that you. That it's it's really like an album that you're just supposed to buy. Just buy it, and then worry about it later. Get it later. You know what I'm saying? And then you got to take in the fact that uh, you know you 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 had uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis doing Biden his style with the uh, control. You had the hip hop, so it was kind of hard to you know to to put up this song. It really wasn't accessible to the younger generation that I grew up around because you know we wanted that Michael Jackson, that Janet Jackson type stuff. But you know, being at the age that I am now, and even before then, it's like you know. I uh, I felt like I was uh, tricked into liking all this other music and not appreciating Prince. And now, you know, this this stuff is it was ahead of his time, and it's like, damn, it's it people should be copying what he's do what he did. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, interesting take on it, um, man. Is there any other last things that anybody wants to add on to this before we wrap? This has been a big three part. I'm almost talked out a little bit, so. I, I have one. You you had uh, started to ask about the Grammy snub, and I'll just say this. Uh, remember uh, 1989, I believe, uh, Fresh Prince, uh, uh, he's the DJ, I'm the rapper, won Best Rap Album over It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold oh. Us Back. So Ooh. there you go. Drop the mic. Bam. <laughs> oh, hell, well, Fresh Prince. Well, the Grammys have got a history of getting it wrong, you know. Uh, well, that's the, what I mean. You know, the glaring example that just popped in my head was they, when they did the first uh, hard rock heavy metal one, they gave it to Jethro Tull over Metallica. I'm like, what? Are they still around? You know? <laughs> well, I'll just say Silent Times and Love Sexy will always have a special place to me because I got into more fights with people about Prince over these two albums than anything else. Because, you know, a lot of cats just didn't appreciate Sign of Times. And, you know, like I said, my cousin was the main one. She was so pro Michael Jackson, she would do anything to dog Prince out. She'd come in, Michael, bad, the bad song. And I'd drop Housequake, and I'm like, shut up already, damn. <laughs> you know, what, 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 I mean, Mike is bad, but can he do this? No, shut the fuck up. And then when Love Sex, then when Love Sex had come out, I got to fight with people about the album cover. So yeah, it's just yeah, like, yeah. man, that la- and that lasted for like two years. So this my <laughs> album, though. I have to have to give it up. Well, if I could, I, I spoke to my colleague Jahan this morning, and uh, he he did want to participate, but the time difference—he's six hours oh, ahead—just right, right. just didn't work for him. 
But um, but he did tell me that um, one thing that he he wanted to share was that the tour, parts of the tour was was an inspiration for D'Angelo's Voodoo tour. Um, <clears throat> the way D'Angelo opened the Voodoo tour is where I think they were playing they were playing they were playing Devil's Pie and um, um, they came out cause I, and I was there. I, I I don't think it was Devil's Pie. That's how that's how D'Angelo. No, he, he opened he, the show he, with Devil's Pie. Yeah, but didn't he do it? Wasn't it Booty? And then he led into that. The show I saw, he opened with Devil's Pie. I, I saw the show here in San Diego, and then it was just like a, it was basically just a long loop of of, of the Devil's Pie, right? Right. And then, okay, and then each member comes out in like a long black hood, right? Kind of right. like Madhouse style, uh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And then when everybody's in place, boom, lights come on, hoods drop, everybody's in white, and he so he that was a, a an ins- that was inspired by. Sign of the Times during the tour where it opened with Sign of the Times and it was just Prince, Fink, and Cat dancing, and then toward the end of it, each member comes out with a with a with a marching snare drum, and you know one by one by one by one by one. So, right. of course, he would have done it a lot more elaborately and <laughs> a, a whole lot more of a an, an almanac type style right, than, right. than I could have. But but I did say if I had an opportunity, I, I would mention that. Right on. <laughs> oh, shout out to hey, John. One other quick thing, Mike. At the end of the Sound of the Times movie, man, I was always salty that they never officially released that instrumental <laughs> version of Sound of the Times, man, which is so super tight. Yeah, we t- I think we talked about that uh, yeah. last episode yeah. or one of them. But yeah, you're that, right. That should have been on the 12-inch. Yeah, it's, it is. That, it just shows you how dope that song really is, like that music. You're like, damn. Um, all right, fellas, I think, man, we have talked our way through Sign of the Times. It is safe to say it is a must-own album. You know, and this has been mentioned before, but I'm just going to end it here with this as well. This album was a true album in terms of when vinyl was king, and it was put together with that in mind. So if you go and buy it now, you know, more of the times now you're going to buy it digitally, you're just going to get a chunk of songs. But try to keep in your mind to listen to it in, in the order that it was made and give yourself a break. So you'll listen to, what is it, Sign of the Times, Plain of Sunshine, Housequake, and Dorothy Parker. Pause. You know what I'm saying? And then start up the next couple songs. And If you listen to it that way, I think you will really appreciate not only the music, but in terms of the spacing, in terms of, like, this is a chunk. This is a little piece here. This is a piece. And that's how this album was made, you know? And I think a lot of it sometimes can be lost in the world of just, here's 13 tracks, you know, down the line. Uh, unless it's made to be presented that way. And this album wasn't made to be presented that way. Um, and uh, I think I will say this, too. This could be a good album to lead you into more print stuff if you are not already a fan if you are a fan and i love this as i see this in the messages and stuff pull it back out again give it another thorough listen and as we are waiting for some new music we have this great piece of work here that you can continue to listen to year in and year out and and analyze it so with that go ahead yes sir uh to piggyback on you um you you were just talking about the uh the configuration Mm -hmm. uh which do you uh, which do you think is uh, the best uh, as far as track leading into track and leading into track? Um, 1999's 1999 Little Red Corvette 
around the world in the day with uh, Christopher Tracy's parade. Um, I think it was Christopher Tracy's parade, new position under the cherry moon. I wonder you or uh, sign of the time playing the sunshine housequake. Uh, just based off the examples you gave, I would probably personally, I would go with the 1999 stuff, but I think they're all great. Um, there's probably a couple we are forgetting. I think that would be just as dope, but that's, you know, that's another great thing. Our prince definitely knows how to transition from one to the other. All right. We're going to chop it up. We're going to get out of here before we go. I want to give a big shout to Mr. Arthur. Thanks for coming through again. Hey, thanks again. I really had a good time. All right. Big Ken. Yeah. The return. He's back. <laughs> Am I back for real? Hey, it's on you. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, I wasn't sure for a minute. That's cool. Here we go. <laughs> Big Sexy and Sax, sir. Thank you once again. Mr. Sean Hill. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Mr. Day Drop. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me here. All right. And Mr. Anthony Ant Poole. I am humbled to be among these musical elite. Uh, here you go. And I want to give a big shout to the listener and also to all the people on Facebook who are continuing to share the episodes that is great so the more people get to hear it the better and there's a lot of Prince fans that don't know about this whoa 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 whoa. so I'm trying to get them to hear about it and uh, we are going to come back with another Prince podcast I'm not going to say what it's about yet but we're going to keep the consistency going strong with that we say good night thank you for listening and we'll see you next time peace I'm sorry.